0: Okay, praise the Lord. Well, let's continue on in our series on discipleship. And so, as we considered last week in Luke's Gospel, some of those uh, harder sayings that relate to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we looked at the terms and conditions, or some of the terms and conditions, because there's more, as we'll see today. But nevertheless, <clears throat> they're there, and they are what qualify us to become, be called, to call ourselves legitimately disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at various principles, biblical principles and definitions of discipleship that are throughout the, the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And as we know, the call of the church this Jesus' great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And so the call is not only to make disciples, but the call for us as well as individuals, as believers, is to be a disciple. That's the biblical standard. And so, again, this is interesting to make that distinction between believers and discipleship. And the scripture will do that again, as we'll see in just a moment. Because this is really important. Just because we're believers doesn't mean we're automatically disciples. We must make deliberate choices and actions to uh, obey the commands of God and God's word in order to follow him wholeheartedly as is demanded and required of us in the words of the Bible. And so... To be a disciple of the biblical kind requires deliberate choices, deliberate actions. It requires a serious approach. It's not something that's haphazard because it's not going to just happen. It's something that is deliberate. In our, as we set ourselves in our minds and our hearts and our actions, our lives, as we reorder, reprioritize, this, is, this affects the whole life. And it's brought into subjection, it's brought into submission, and it is uh, uh, yielded to Christ in such a way that we now walk on that narrow path, as the scripture says, that leads to life. And so we were looking at the fact that there is a cost to discipleship last week, the cost, some of the costs of discipleship, and Jesus, and that Jesus demanded and demands precedence over any human relationship. That we may have, and so we looked at this, where the word says in uh, Luke fourteen that uh, he had uh, he who um, does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, and uh, even his own life also cannot be my disciple. And so we saw these words that uh, because this is what Jesus demands. He demands to be first. God will not take second place. He will not tolerate it. He must be first in all things, in our hearts and in our lives. And so can we wholeheartedly say, yes, he is first in my life, first and foremost in all things. And so these demands are there. And so, you know, not that, to, as we, we, we establish, not that Jesus wants us to hate in, the, uh, in terms of detest our, our family and those human relationships, but in the sense that, and as Rhonda pointed out after my message last week in her translation, that we're willing to detach ourselves, detach ourselves from any human relationship that will interfere, that will hinder us from obeying the Lord. And this is really important because we can come up with all these excuses as to why we can't. But that doesn't cut it with God. God demands that if that's what's necessary and if that's what's required of us, then that is what we must do. That's what the Lord demands. And that's why Jesus, remember, he said, Consider Consider and count the cost, he said. Uh, and he gave us various illustrations that related to building a building. And so, you know, having started and then not fully considered the cost that's involved to, to finish and complete it and having fallen short and failed to complete that building and people would take note of that and see this man began but couldn't finish. And so he's saying to us that make sure that we understand the terms and what's required to run the race. And sure, we fail and fall short, but thank God through His grace, we can always repent and get right and get back on track. But uh, these are the demands, and these are the standards, and they don't—they're not lowered, and they don't change for nobody. And so, I want to consider. And actually, I didn't give the scripture: John's Gospel, chapter eight. And I want to consider again a, another condition in the scripture that's found in John's Gospel. In chapter 8, this is a familiar text, it's a familiar scripture, no doubt. And what I'm going to say this morning may not be new to some, but in the context of what we're dealing with, these are foundational principles. And so they are really, really important for us to understand when we are defining the principles of discipleship. And so here is another condition that we're going to read about. It has to do with our relationship to the Word of God. Our relationship to the Word of God. This book, the Bible, the Words of God. This Bible is not just any book, this is the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is what? Living and powerful, it's alive. This is just not some dead letter, just not any ordinary book that's on the shelf. And though for many it may collect dust, this thing is the living word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Christ spoke, you're talking about the living word. And that's what we were looking at last week in John 6, wasn't it? The living word. And so Christ is the living word. The word of God that has become flesh. And the words that we find in this book are no ordinary words. That's why uh, when they were witnessing to that, uh, that man, they said, do you want a Bible? And he stopped for a moment and said yes, because when you first get exposed to this book and these words, I tell you, when you develop an appetite, it's a ferocious and insatiable desire for the living word of God because it is alive. Hallelujah. And so the words that are contained in this book are the words that we must feed upon. And yet so many and, so, and some, are, uh, at least, are ignorant of God's word. They don't know it as they should know it. And in some Christians' lives, it's fair to say that it's neglected. And this is not acceptable. This is unacceptable, as we will see in relation to our relationship to God and our relationship to the word of God and our definition of a disciple. So let's read from John chapter 8. Verse 31, a familiar portion of text. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, or believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. A really simple potent statement this morning and so in stating this I would first like to point out that there are some uh, who misunderstand the text and really in the context that Jesus is speaking and there's a reason for that because we rightly use it as a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so when we speak of Christ, we speak of the truth. And we speak about um, uh, uh, Jesus' words where he says, you shall, actually verse 32, I didn't read that, I was meant to read that too. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so we talk about truth. We talk about Christ, we talk about the gospel, we talk about salvation, and we talk about this particular text in that context as we preach Christ to the unbeliever. And rightly so. It's relevant. I'm not disregarding it at all. But sometimes, because that's our first contact with the scripture and that's our, our, our initial understanding we sometimes just get locked into that perspective, but there is another context to this particular text that uh, that Jesus is speaking about. And the the way we don't know that is look at verse thirty one. It says, "Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him." And so He's not speaking to unbelievers as such. He's speaking to the believers, those that have believed in Him. He is speaking this truth to. And so it's important to make that distinction and to see that and identify it. Because though the truth is is, is explicit in its relationship to salvation, it also has a greater truth and context that relates to the Christian life. And so when we say, uh, that, when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He's teaching them something. And then when he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free, this is not just in a once-off instantaneous aspect, although it does relate to that, but this is speaking in the context of a continuance. In the continuation, as we continue to serve him, as we continue to walk with him, as we continue to live for him, we will abide in the truth and that truth will continually make us free in the continuous sense. It's a matter of walking in that truth and walking in the freedom and liberty that comes to those that are in Christ, to those who are truly his disciples. He's speaking to his believers. Now what it means, what is he teaching to to them? He's speaking to those believers and what is it that he's saying? He's, He's telling them in verse 31 what it means to be his disciple. He's defining again discipleship. And it's interesting because I said that we, at the onset that there was another condition that we were going to identify in our text, and this is exactly what we see here, that we know that this is the case. Because notice he says at the beginning, if, that little word speaks so much, if, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples Indeed. And so if literally means on the condition that, that's what the word if means, it's conditional. So on the, here's another condition, on the condition that you abide in my word, you are my disciples truly, in the sense of a true disciple, indeed. And this is important for us to acknowledge and to identify, because it's a condition that we have to meet. It's a condition that we have to adhere to. And so if you abide in my words, then you are my disciples indeed. You know, the opposite can be deducted or deduced from what Jesus is saying here. And it's simply this. If you don't abide in the word, then you cannot be considered a true disciple. You are my disciples truly. That word indeed means truly. You are my disciples truly. So if you don't abide, then you are not truly my disciples. He's not saying that you're not truly a believer. He's, not, he's speaking to the believers. But he's now making this distinction about being a follower and a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And he uses the word abide. Abide literally means to continue in, to remain. To stay in a given state. And so this is something that relates to the word of God in which we don't just treat it as something that we pick up and read every now and then. You know, when you get a spare chance in the middle of the week. or, or in a, No, this is something far, far more serious and far more uh, important and that we are called to abide, we are called to remain in, we are called to continue in and stay in a given state by which we are reading the Word of God. And this is really important. And notice as we, as we do that, As we abide and stay in the truth and abide in his words, it's then that verse 32 becomes alive and real when he says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Do you know as a Christian we're constantly identifying more and more truths of God's word? Yes, when we come to salvation we're set free from sin and all of those things. But this is speaking about as we continue to serve him and as we continue to read his word, we grow in our understanding of the word, we grow in our revelation of the word and as we continually have our eyes open to the truth and we grow in the knowledge of God and the grace of God, the effect of that is we experience greater liberty and greater freedom in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. And so it's one thing to be set free from sin. It's one thing to be set free from the bondage of sin. It's one thing to be delivered from the bondage of Satan and demonic oppression and all of those things that are associated with that, that, that aspect. But this continual freedom that Jesus is speaking about is something that is to be abiding within the Christian, the child of God. it saying... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and it's verse 17 it says where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty meaning that where the spirit of god is manifest where the spirit of god dwells there is a freedom there is a liberty a freedom that we experience in the presence of god and in the and, and now that same Principle relates to abiding in the word and understanding the word. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so, in other words, what the scripture is saying is we are no longer living under the power and dominion of sin, but we live we live in the freedom of. Because we have been made free to live free. And so as we abide in Christ, abide in his word, we abide in that freedom. And the truth shall make you free. And it's a continuous experience. That's what it's meant to be for the, for the Christian. Because let's face it, if we, if we sin, if we disobey God, what's the first thing we experience? Bondage we begin to experience uh, uh, the effects uh, and consequences of sin and disobedience in our lives, which is never pleasant. And the first thing it will do is encroach upon your freedom that is in Christ. And false doctrine, this goes on and on as Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They want to spy out on our liberty. Not that we're free to do what we want, but we're free in Christ because we're not bound by you know, as the law and all of these other things that can bring people into bondage. We live in the liberty, the freedom, because the truth makes us free continually. Praise the Lord. So when we fail to abide in the word, if we don't abide and remain and stay in the word this morning, we fall short of the standard of discipleship. And as I said, the inevitable result is not freedom but bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to the flesh, and bondage to the world. These things will encroach upon the spiritual life of the Christian and the believer, and ultimately can lead to a disqualification of being a disciple. Because when, when we walk in disobedience to God, we cannot say, Well, I'm a disciple, when we know full well that we are in disobedience to God and we're not obeying His word. It's a contradiction. And so, we, so we, can't, we can't abide in the truth that makes us free because now we're disobeying and where there's disobedience, there's always what? Spiritual oppression. That's why when Israel disobeyed God, what was the first thing that happened to them? They would experience ultimately spiritual oppression, or I mean uh, physical oppression and through the nations around them and, and, uh, and so forth until after years, what would they do? They would cry out to God. Because that's how it works. It's the same pattern. So we've got to be careful because we must sow to the spirit. And he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. But if we live and walk after the flesh and are carnal, then we, we, what happens is we begin to live and operate in the realm of the flesh. And the Bible says he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. You see, there are distinguishing aspects this morning between the spiritual believer and the carnal believer. And this, this is really clear in the scriptures and it must be pointed out because the disciple, the true disciple of Jesus Christ is inevitably spiritual. That's, that would be uh, um, interchangeable because that's the whole idea of spirituality is being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. in in obedience to God's word. But when there's the opposite, when we are operating in not spiritual-minded but carnal and according to the flesh, then again we are bringing ourselves into all types of problems and falsehoods in our lives. And so to abide in that continued state of freedom and liberty this morning requires us to abide in the word of God. And so the question then comes to us are we are you abiding in God's word this morning are we and again these are simple questions i know i get it it's like i mean why even some why even ask the question but it's a, it's it's a real question that must be asked because we make the assumption but you know the truth be known that uh, uh that it's not always the case are we abiding in God's Word? Well, how often, well, the question is, how often do you read God's Word? Do you read it as it ought to be? Read? Am I abiding in the Word of God? Remember, this is what we touched upon last week when we we're looking at John six extensively, but I want to go back there for a moment, a few pages back, go to John chapter six. Look again at verse 56. He says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. There's that word abide again. Now notice he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Now what did we establish last week? Is it, is it eating his flesh and drinking his blood literally? No. It's as it says in verse 63 it is the spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So, in other words, Jesus is saying, He who abides in my word, as it says in our text, abides in me, and I in him. The words. Notice he says in verse 57, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. He who feeds on me will live. Now again, this is not just receiving eternal life. This is abiding in the spiritual life. And so if we're going to abide in the Spirit, if we're going to live in the Spirit, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to be a spiritual disciple, then it is imperative that we are walking in the Spirit and that we are feeding, as Jesus says, he who feeds on me will live because of me. So it's more so talking about a spiritual health, if you want to put it in those terms, not just we're not just talking here in the context of spiritual salvation. We're talking about spiritually healthy. And really, if we don't maintain our spiritual life, what happens? We can become spiritually sick. In the same way, physically, we can talk, we can, if we don't maintain ourselves physically and things, we become susceptible to physical conditions and so forth. And so we have to feed the spirit He who feeds on me, the words, abide in my words. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Feed on the word of God, the words that I speak, the spirit and thy life. Are they spirit and life? Or do you, when you read the Bible, does it just seem like a dead letter? Do you ever read the Bible and feel like scriptures jump out off the pages? And go, wow, I didn't see that before. You see, because that's the difference. When the Spirit of God, when you're feeding, the Spirit of God quickens His Word at various moments to your heart and to your spirit. And all of a sudden you become physically nourished. I know, sometimes I've all read the Bible, picked it up, read a chapter and it's like, what did I just read? Ever had that? But that doesn't mean that you just kind of withhold yourself and just kind of let it go. That's testing your heart. Because, because are you still going to read God's word? Are you still going to uh, discipline yourself to feed off God's word? Because I tell you, I, I, from experience, I know, and as so many can testify, if you avail yourself to the word of God, if you remain in the word, you abide in the word, God will speak to you. He will speak to you, not that he might he will, at His appointed time, He will quicken the Scripture to you and He will speak to your heart and to your mind, to your life. And this is so critical and so important. And I tell you, that is life. It's a quickening of life to, and, and feeding. The Spirit is life and the words are life. Abiding in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed. What does the Scripture say? Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I tell you, we love our food. Yes, Peter, you're right. In the cities, I think it's true. We've got all of our restaurants to choose from and we love our food in fellowship. But you see, that love that we acquire for food, imagine that same love and acquirement for the word of God, where you just need to, you say, I need to read my Bible. I haven't read the scriptures today. Oh, I need to sit down and have some quiet time and just spend some time in the word. That's abiding in the word of God. Or if you just keep neglecting it and it doesn't have interest and you find yourself going for days and weeks without picking up the Bible, I submit to you something's not right. Job said in chapter 23 verse 12, I believe it is. He says, "I have treasured your word more than my necessary food. I have treasured your word more than my necessary food." I tell you, people have a necessity when it comes to food. People are so can become so fixated on their food. They're so concerned about what they eat, what they prepare, how much they eat. I know some don't. <laughs> I get it. You know, but that's and that's probably to our own detriment. But you see the point being is is that we, when it comes to our necessary food we so we can be so consumed and so particular, and yet when it comes to spiritual life and spiritual food, we can go days without eating. It ought not to be so. How can we abide in god 's word if we're neglecting to read God's word? If you abide in my if, you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And so the question to us is how often are we feeding on the word of God? How often are you feeding on the word of God? Because remember, to abide means to stay, to continue in, in a continual state in the word. And I fear this morning there are those believers who are not abiding in the word as they should. As Paul said to the Hebrews, it's not enough just to drink the milk of God's word. It's not enough just to remain in a state of infancy as a Christian. He says it's time to grow up. It's time to abide. It's time to feed off the meat, the solid food of Scripture, and begin to digest some of the greater truths because you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so... The question then becomes, how do I abide in the word of God? How do I abide in the word of God? There's two key aspects that I want to just focus on this morning. One is the obvious. Read the word of God. You'd think I wouldn't have to state the obvious, but it's true. It needs to be stated. Read the word of God. We have busy lifestyles, church. Well, in, in, in the cities, it's the rat race. You know what it's like, the demands of life. If we just lived in the country there, you know, you get up and you just have your quiet time in the, with the birds and whatever else, you know. But in the city, the demands are such that it's, it's hectic. And so time is just, you know, if you're not careful, uh, life just gets a hold of you. And you've got to just take a step back. You've just got to make sure that you set aside that time that I'm going to read my Bible I'm going to read the word. I'm going to abide in the word. And so if, in, in saying that, what that does require this morning is a disciplined, a systematic approach. You have to be deliberate in this process because if you're not, the tendency is, is that you'll neglect it. And before you know it, you're not even availing yourself to the word. And that, that should never, ever be the case. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, we know this, where God is commissioning Joshua now to lead the children of Israel. And in chapter 1, verse 8, God speaks to Joshua and he says these words, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous. Notice the words here. This is critical. And then you will have good success. See what's good success? This morning, your job, excelling in your job, in and of itself, is that good success? What is it to prosper? What to achieve, and, and uh, you know, uh, worldly fame and fortune? Not according to God's definition. You see, Joshua is being instructed and he's being told by God to abide in the word. This word of the law shall not depart. You shall meditate. And that word meditate means, doesn't mean pick it up and just read a few scriptures and close it. It means to chew over in your mind. You know, I'm, I reckon many of us can talk, testify, you know, I could be at work every day and my mind is on spiritual things. I'm working physically, but my mind is elsewhere. <laughs> Can anyone relate to that? Because you're consumed, you're meditating upon various scriptures and you're thinking about certain texts, you're thinking about certain topics and issues, and all of a sudden you're functioning, but your mind is always in a spiritual alertness because you're constantly focused on the God's Word. And this is really, I think this is how it should be. We funct- we're in the world, but we're not of it. We have to function in the mundane things of life, and we do, and you need to give yourself entirely to those things. But that doesn't, worldly success is not what the scripture is talking about here. It's speaking about spiritual maturity. It's about being obedient to God, where you have God's approval in your life. And so, in that sense, you will be prosperous in what you do. In that sense, you will have good success, because you can have all the success in the world. But if you are ignorant of God's word, it's a failure. It's all worth nothing. What is it to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is what Jesus said when he spoke to those that he was addressing. See, it's about the priorities. And though I though I'm talking about reading the word this morning and I'm making an emphasis on discipline and a systematic approach, and this is important. But you know, we need to go even a step back. You know, when we, we talk about Joshua here, but as I was thinking about Joshua, my mind was brought to the pre- a previous scripture in the Bible because, you know, what's going to facilitate discipline? You don't discipline yourself for the sake of discipline because you know what happens? The moment you resolve that you're going to do it, you just don't. How many times we fail and fall short? True? Like New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And just you do it for a few days and then that's it, it's over. It's got to go much more than that. You see, what facilitates a discipline and systematic approach, and as much as that is required, it still requires a heart that loves the Lord, a heart that desires God, a heart that hungers and thirsts. Only dead bodies don't have hunger, physical hunger. And if we don't have a spiritual hunger, then what is the condition of our spiritual life? See, Joshua, listen to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. This is really important because this precedes what we read in Joshua, chapter chapter 1, when we go to Exodus 33. This is where Moses has an encounter with God. And listen to what it says in verse 9. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. See, Moses would go from the presence of God to the camp. He'd bring the word. But listen to what it says. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua was what? A young man. See, this, is, this, this breaks my heart when I see young people. The Bible says, don't squander your youth. Use your youth wisely, I, and because it's, I mean, it's one thing. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I it was I was eighteen years old, and I came to, uh, came to know the Lord. But you see, when people uh, uh, know Jesus from a young age, and they're raised in a spirit a, home, a Christian home, and they're taught the Scriptures, there's no greater joy there as a young man to abide in Christ. Joshua was a young man, and he wasn't out with the rest of the crew down at the movies. He wasn't down at the latest party. He wasn't down at the latest whatever. He was in the presence of God at the tabernacle, and he did not depart from the tabernacle. See, this was Joshua's heart, and it was here later that God's instructing him on the dynamics of discipline and, uh, and, uh, and a systematic approach to the Scriptures, But you have to have first and foremost a heart for God. And that no one can give you that. As a family, you can be trained, you can be raised, you can be taught, and all those things are good, but in and of themselves, they will not carry you to where you must go. You must have a heart for God. And then everything else will flow. This is what Joshua had and Joshua you know when it says that he remained at the tabernacle he 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 abided in the presence of God and what does the bible tell us to do let's read in john chapter 15 john chapter 15 verse 1 i'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. See, to abide in me, in Christ, we talk about to remain, to stay, to continue in Christ. Abide. See, Jesus is not saying, this is not a once-off thing. He's talking about a continuous state of abiding. Now look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. As a branch and is withered, And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. There it is, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. See, abiding, staying in, remaining in Christ. And we do that by a continual reading of the word of God. It's been, I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. And I tell you the truth, I, the, the reading of God, it was something that was set. When I first got saved, my first Bible was, I can't even open it. It'll fall apart today. Because that's what's all there to read the Bible. Read, 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 read. And over the years, this is something that obviously now I'm pastoring and studying God's word and all of those things. But but nevertheless, the point being is, is that we have to be uh, abiding in the continuous state of abiding in God's word. Memorise the word. Meditate on the word. Because I fear again those that are ignorant this morning. And neglect the word, and are shallow in the word. This is not good enough, and will not suffice. Let's bring. I said there were two aspects I wanted to look at in obeying, and sorry, in abiding in the word, the words of Jesus. How do we abide in the words of Jesus? One, we read the word, and the second point is what? Simply, we obey the word. This is important. We obey the word. You see, it's one thing to be a hearer and it's another thing to be a doer of God's word. We, can, we come to church every Sunday. We hear. But sometimes we falsely equate hearing with doing. That's what we can do. That's what human nature is like. We hear. So we've heard. We've been in church. We've gone through the logistics of spirituality. But it's not what happens in here. It's what happens out the door. and what happens uh, during the week it what happens in our lives as we go. Are we doers of the word and not hearers only? Turn to me, with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. He writes upon this and he touches upon it. And in verse 21 of chapter 1, James says, Therefore, lay aside... All filthiness and overflow of wickedness in our lives that means take stock of your life and those things that are unrighteous that are not productive that are unfruitful that are wicked and are filthy before the Lord he says lay them aside cast them aside and listen to what he says receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your Souls. Now this is really important because he says receive with meekness. In other words, have a humble and a gentle heart that is open to hear and receive the word of God. You see, this is what happens. We, we, uh, uh, we don't receive the word with meekness. You know what? We can sit in church and we can hear, but the, the word is not being sown in good soil it's rather it's being sown on hard soil and it doesn't penetrate into the heart it goes into the ears and goes out the other side because again hearing does not equate you must receive the implanted word the word's got to go into your heart it's got to be sown in there and it says, Receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is what? Able to save your souls. Now, again, I've pointed this out before, but for the sake of the text, because the text says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That as you receive the word, it is able to save your soul. You say, Well, my soul is saved. Correct. But the word here, the same word for salvation, means the healing of your soul. Or in other words, walking in the liberty and the freedom that comes with the truth. Because the truth will make you free. It will make you free. And this will heal and save your soul. Because if you are feeding, what are you feeding your soul this morning? What goes into the mind comes out in your life. What are you feeding on? What music are you listening to? What's going in your head? What's being implanted into your soul? Your soul is is this part of your being, and if you are not feeding at the word of God, you will reap what you sow. And if you are in so your soul, if you're not sowing God's word, if you're not receiving with meekness and humility implanted word, then you're in trouble. Rather than walk in that liberty, as we pointed out, you will bear the consequences in your spiritual life. And then all of a sudden, this we realise, hey, how did, how did this happen? You neglected God's word. So look at what it says in verse 22 of James. Chapter 1, verse 22 now. He says, but be doers. Of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, note that, deceiving yourselves. See, the disciple this morning cannot just be a hearer of God's word, he must be a doer. And to think that it's possible for God's people, his children, to deceive themselves you know self-deception of all of all deception is the most worse you know once, a man once said a true heart will, not, will never be deceived in other words in, when our heart is not sincere towards god then we can be deceived by the you know the lies and deceptions of darkness or ultimately we will deceive ourselves And come to a point of self-deception. And self-deception is a a horrible infliction that we inflict upon ourselves because of our own refusal to obey God. So when we refuse to do what we know God wants us to do, we deceive ourselves. We're not doers. We're hearing, we know, but we're not doing. And therefore the result of that is self-deception. And self-deception of all deception is terrible. That we could live in such a state. And yet none of us are exempt from it. The only way that we can be exempt from it is is we abide in the word and God speaks to us, he reveals things to us, and we know the truth, and the truth what? Makes us free. We walk in that liberty. And can you see this this morning? See Israel deceived themselves, and it's possible because we can see it in the scriptures. Actually, I want to show you just one scripture. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33. The prophet Ezekiel chapter 33. In verse 30, the prophet is speaking. Oh, God is actually speaking to the prophet. And he says in verse 30, he says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of their, their houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear, hear the word of the Lord, or hear the word that, is, that comes from the Lord. So they come to you, as my people do. They sit before you, as my people do. And they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue Their own gain. Now think about that for a moment. God's indictment and his grief and his issue with his people, he says to Ezekiel, is that they they love to hear. The problem is, is they don't do what they hear. They love to come and sit and hear the words and they come to as if they're going to show so much love but their hearts pursue their own gain. This is the danger church. We can come to a church, we can clock in, clock out. I did my church service for the week. And then what is it goes as soon as we walk out of these doors, are we are we abiding in God or we're we pursuing our own gain? And if we're pursuing our own gain to the neglect of uh, God's word, then that means we're not implementing God's word. We're not we're hearing it and we think, oh, yes, I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm, it feels good. I'm identifying with it. Amen. Preach it. But am I doing it? Because hearing is not doing. Doing requires a deliberate act and implementation of those things that God is speaking to us on hearing. Hearing is critical. It's the first component. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith always what? Leads to obedience you see when a person is consistently uh, disobeying God's word you know what the issue is they're not trusting God it's an issue of faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and so when God's word is being heard we, we're being God's revealing himself and is and leading us to trust in him to obey him and we follow through with that faith comes by hearing and always leads to obedience But you know what leads to disobedience? The opposite, unbelief. I'm trusting God, but I'm just taking taking control here. It's a contradiction, isn't it? And so we must be doers of the word, lest, as James says, we deceive ourselves. And so the Israelites did not mix what they heard with faith, and therefore they disobeyed God, the Bible says. And they failed and fell short. And so too we will we if we follow in the same footsteps as they did. And so I want to exhort us this morning to abide in the word of God. Abide in the words of God. See, Jesus in our text said, If this is the only condition, if you abide, or in this instance, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples. Indeed, it's the condition that must be met to abide in the word of God. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from sin, the power of sin, from demonic deception, from self-deception, from the world and the pleasures of the world and the love of the world. Because when you're abiding in the word, you, 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 you are manifesting what? Your love for the Lord. If you're neglecting the word, what steals your heart? The world. So you look at the in back, well, not that you're there, but in our text in John 8, at the end of those words in verse 36, Jesus makes a, a triumphant statement and he says, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the sun makes you free you shall be free indeed absolute truly you will be and that freedom has come in so many ways. That freedom is not just a once-off experience of salvation. But I tell you, in the Christian life, when you submit to God, when you turn from disobedience, when you call upon God in repentance, you will always come into a fresh experience of God's freedom and liberty. And And then you can get up and you march on in that liberty and that freedom that is in Christ. Because... If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why you can you can walk in that freedom. The freedom's not far away. The truth is the truth and we when we abide by the truth, the freedom is instantaneous and it comes into our lives. And so I want us to examine ourselves this morning for, and just can, and ask ourselves the question am I A disciple of Jesus Christ. If Jesus said to those who believed, notice the words, to those who believed, if you believe in, sorry, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, for this word of the Lord, for the truth thereof, God, that it contains. Lord, your word is living, it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, thoughts and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, I, I pray, O oh Lord, that your word would search our hearts this morning. Because, God, if you abide in my words, that's the condition, Lord. We must meet the condition. We must Otherwise, God, we cannot go around calling ourselves a disciple when we know that we are in direct, direct disobedience to to, to you, Lord. Oh, God, deal with us according to your mercy, your loving kindness, Lord, that's better than life. Bless us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.